Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. It is the Super Bowl of skiing, the classic Holman Cullen weekend in Oslo. We're back, me and Devin, with Jess Cockney, one of Devin's teammates from the Canadian national team. We've got a breakdown of all the racing that happened this weekend, plus a takedown of the International Ski Federation for its unwillingness and inability to schedule a replacement for World Cup finals in Russia. We'll be back to you in a second. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by New Moon Ski and Bike, located in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin's picturesque Northwoods region, which borders Michigan's Upper Peninsula and is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebiner. The Berkey has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable, Wisconsin to Hayward. Some have named the trail as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire U.S. The trails are groomed and maintained for both skate and classic skiing, or ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. New Moon is the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes, and fat bikes, clothing, accessories, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet or check them out online at newmoonski.com. We also want to take a minute to encourage listeners to consider a voluntary subscription to Faster Skier. This work doesn't do itself. It takes time, money, and effort to produce all the work that you see on the Faster Skier website. So check out fasterskier.com support if you're considering this. It's worth it, and it helps if you want to continue being able to read about your favorite athletes on fasterskier.com and hopefully to listen to your favorite podcast this one we got jess cockney my boy jess on the pod we're gonna break down home and colon it was a real barn burner of a weekend it was home and colon at its absolute best it was sunny it was packed with fans it was some great storylines couple great races and jess cockney right out of camore alberta live on direct is coming to break down the the races with us if people don't know who jess is he was a teammate of mine for a decade plus been to the Olympics a few times, top 10 on the World Cup a number of times. Never in the 50K Classic, though, Jess, sorry. But um, <laughs> you know what? You know what? World Cup's World Cup. Sprint, 50K, whatever. You know, that's um, you're still adding a level of legitimacy to this whole thing. So we appreciate having you on. Nice. Thanks. I got to hang out with you more, Devin. You're pumping up my tires, getting me going again. Now, well, you're going to, you know what I just, we just heard, well, actually I was just talking with Jess prior to this recording and kind of like, we just continued this conversation by recording it. And he's like, yeah, so you're going to, I can, we can help each other out as you start your master's degree next year. And I'm still struggling through medical school. So we, we can help each other out as the, as the years go by. Here. Perfect. But great to have, great to have you on here. And it's, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun to talk about the races this weekend. I think, um, I mean, when it's sunny in Oslo and you're at home and colon, it's, there's nothing else like it in cross country skiing. It's, it's the best venue on the world cup. It's not even close. And when you have, when you have conditions in the fan base and everyone fired up and camping and fires and pumped, it's like, it was a real coming out party after some, first of all, this season, we can get back into this. I, I, I don't want to start this whole thing with a tangent, but like 
this, oh my God, this, but we can come back to that. But, um, you know, when you've had a couple weeks canceled in January and that World Cup finals are canceled, it was just nice to have a, a race like this on, on the screen. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Uh, like, like you said, the vibe and the scene at home in Colon is one of one. Uh, like there's nowhere else that I've ever raced that, you know, you've got like fires and like people making waffles on the side of the trail. And it's not really like a race. It's just kind of like a, a race that's happening in, in the midst of a party. So um, it's great to be an athlete there. It looks like it's maybe even more fun to be like one of the campers that's out there. So hopefully sometime I can get out there and camp in a tent and cheer on everyone going oh. up and down the hills. You know, I, oh, I, sure. I, I want to just emphasize one thing, which is, um, you know, as I was reviewing uh, social media after the race, there were, there were clips and, and, you know, I've definitely seen this before from home and Cole and it, it, uh, Richard Juve and Federico Pellegrino in the 50 K like, pull over on the side of the trail to stop for like a hot dog that a fan is just like you know, <laughs> holding out there on a stick into the trail. And I know I've seen that with waffles before too. And I don't know if, if Jess or, or Devin, if you guys ever availed yourself of uh, the, the Norwegian style uh, feeds, but um, I know when I was in Holman Colon in 2011, we ski or yeah, for the world championships, we skied a lap of the 50 K course beforehand. And I, personally I was on the job, but I know uh, faster skier overlord, Matt Vosian. I'm pretty sure I'd saw him take a shot of Aquavit that was offered to him by a fan. So <laughs> it's just like, this is just, you, you cannot top this, uh, atmosphere I don't, I, I don't think you know like you know there are people like singing and chanting like oddly there was like a whole group of people like singing john denver country roads that you could hear through the broadcast yesterday like i don't know what no they're way. drinking or tripping on in oslo but it's like i wish i could be there because it seems like it's really good oh yeah, yeah. And, and it, 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 it's crazy like what jess was saying about the camping like if people haven't seen this race over the weekend, like find a feed or find, find a way to see it. And there, there's this one stretch that's a well, it's about a like kilometer and a half, really, or more, even a couple kilometers uh, around a place called Frogner Sepeda, which is the high point of the course, can you say? And it's tens and tens of thousands of people there, many of which, like Jess said, camp out all weekend. They sleep in tents, party their face off, and to be a part of this Nordic ski race. And there is nothing like it in our sport and it's incredibly special. And I love that it's the young, the youth. Like what I love about Holman Colon is there's, there's something for everybody. Like my brother-in-law is there with his kids who are under 10 years old. You know what I mean? They have a great time and people that are 21 go out there with their buds and just get shit face drunk partying their absolute face off in the Norwegian woods. They're having the time of their life. The grandparents that live in like stuffy West Oslo are also out there waving their flag, drinking like champagne, essentially. Like there's, there's something for everything with, there's something for everybody at home in Poland and through it all, the course itself is yes, I, I'm old school. So I wish it was still back. I really wish we could have done it on the 25 K loop back like the Pierre Harvey era, but, um, I've raced the old loop, which was 16.7 K individual start. And I, I missed that big time. And this 8.7, 8.6 K loop is, is great and stuff. It's awesome. 
but I, I do miss the old, the old style where you really just went out for a tour in the woods. But that said, the 8.6 K has it all. Eh, Jess? like it's, it's amazing. Like it's hard as hell, but if you have good skis and a good body, you can ski it beautifully. And, and we saw that with a couple, not just a couple, with a number of the athletes this weekend, like you can, you can make skiing look great on a course like that. Yeah, for sure. I think you saw like a lot of the groups stick together. The conditions really played, uh, played a part in that having looked like, like the perfect, uh, like anything you could ask for, for like a perfect day of skiing is like what they got out there, firm tracks, nice and sunny, probably like very easy to wax for and like nothing crazy happening. So it kind of meant that the group was going to stick together with high speed. Uh, you know, like for a classic race today, it was one and two hours, three minutes, which is pretty quick for classic. It's not going to break any records, but um, I think it just speaks to like the, the conditions were, were tip top. Um, and we didn't have that kind of like single file stringing out of a race that happens on those just like horrendous, foggy, wet Oslo days that, um, <laughs> you know, you really yeah. have to commend the fans on those days for sticking it out and having that same energy. But yeah, today in the sun, like it, it just looked like a party out there. And um, yeah, like that, that course is fun. It's hard. Actually, when I raced it, I only got to do two laps of it before I got pulled out. So I haven't, haven't finished that, that race. Um, I should just go in and finish my other laps some point in my life. Come on you know, anytime, I, buddy. I, yeah. I, I have, I haven't either, Jess. It's okay. <laughs> we'll refer to Devin for, for that experience. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a one of a kind race and it's the, it is the crown jewel of the world cup. And I just love, I, I love that we saw it on, on full display and, and we can get into the women's race. How's that sound? So that, that we, we, we set the scene mm-hmm. with the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You can't well, beat it. And, and I feel like maybe we also, before we even start with that race, we got to talk about like, I mean, <laughs> everyone's like testing positive for COVID and teams are like shattered for like athletes and waxing. I don't know. I mean, maybe we could talk about that later, but I know. Um, oh, let's break it. Yeah, that's a good idea. The, yeah. I know like Haley Swerble and Catherine Ogden both just put on social media this morning that they had just tested positive for COVID. We heard from US ski team coach Chris Grover that um, they'd had, quote unquote, several uh, folks within the team testing positive for COVID and, and kind of obliquely heard that you know, from some of the other athletes that raced, like Rosie Brandon was saying, this was a really stressful week. It, it does sound like um, COVID is everywhere in Norway right now, Devin. Oh my God. Yeah. Having come in, having just coming out of the COVID tunnel myself and the, the child, well, like it's called Barnahagen, but it's essentially preschool or whatever. Uh, after avoiding it for two years, our, uh, the preschool that my kids go to just like totally nuked, <laughs> like everybody had COVID. It, it, the COVID pressure in the country is 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 crazy. It's the highest it's ever been by far, and I'm not surprised at all to hear that that staff and and athletes are getting are testing positive here in Norway because it is uh, it's absolutely at, at at its it's never been higher. That said, the for whatever reason the you know, the healthcare system isn't, isn't under duress really right now, but still that doesn't help you when, when you want to race at the highest level, you can't, you can't have a cold, let alone a novel, a novel, uh, uh, virus that you're dealing with. So it, it's, uh, it would be stressful. I, I would have been very stressed if I was an athlete that hadn't got it And case in point. Yes. The Americans, uh, some Canadian staff also were, were affected by this, uh, by this being COVID-19. Um, 
but the whole Norwegian men's sprint team, we talked about this, that, uh, in Drammen, but there's a number of those guys that would be right for a great race today. Like Klebo uh, on a day like today would, would have been a, an amazing pick to, to pick up a historic win. Valness is a great classic skier. He's out with COVID as well. So it's uh, no, it's a tough time to be an international ski racer at the end of the season, especially here in Scandinavia right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think that like we've got to this point in the season, you know, like Olympics have happened. Like I'd say the bulk of this, the racing that matters is over and like it, it's great. I'm, I'm really excited that we got to see Olympics that didn't seem, you know, like tainted by like lower competition from COVID withdrawals or anything like that. So, you know, if it was ever going to happen at some point in the racing season, I think it's like it's better as a fan right now to watch like I'd say like subpar competitions happening at the end of the season once the like the real races have happened. So it's sucks to see like um, you know people that would have been at the top like Paul Goldberg would have had like another yeah, exactly. like, great Paul. chance today like that. I think totally. he could have had a, a really good fight for the podium out there. Um, but you know they just it seems like it's closing in on everyone over in Norway right now. So hope everyone over there gets <clears throat> speedy recovery and see them racing again soon. There was a there was a ski race yesterday too. Yeah, and what a ski race! Holy shit! So, of course, unlike everyone that listens to this knows that um, how much respect I have for Tedesio Hug, and yes, I'm biased. I know, uh, you know, Kristen, my wife, was a teammate of Tedesio forever, and and they're really good friends. But I was really moved. I was really really moved by the performance she she put down earlier in the week. She announced that her career is she's putting. She's pressing time on a on her career, and that's it. That's the end of the of the Ohag era. And and just to come full circle, I mean the the last three championships: Seyfeld, Oberstdorf, and now the Olympics in Beijing. She has nine of nine individual gold medals in the last championships, and she put her mark. She made her mark in a huge way in Köln on Saturday, by as expected, but still. It, <laughs> skiing away from the field and skiing so incredibly beautiful and beautifully doing it. And what I was so impressed with the women's race and especially Teresa, since I've known her for so long and, and I I've said this before on the podcast, but like YouTube 2007 Sapporo 30 K where Teresa Yohag at 18 years old wins a bronze medal at the senior world championships in Sapporo, Japan in 2007. It was the most, like mashed potato worst technique maybe ever you could possibly see. It was like all VO2 max out there as she struggled her way through a bronze medal. And then contrast that to Saturday where Teresa Yohag is skiing. It just doesn't get any better in classic than how Teresa was executing that race from start to finish. Technically uh, she was really moved at the finish line. Of course she is. She, she's been, She's been at the top of the sport forever. She goes down as the curtain falls in her career. She's the best distance skier that ever, ever was in women for the women's field. And she's probably the second best uh, woman ever to grace international cross-country skiing, second only to Mara Bjergen, her teammate and mentor. Uh, of course, Lena Velbe is up in there too. Um, she, she was a champ winning five gold medals in Trondheim in 97 from Russia. But, but the fact of the matter is, Teresa is uh, 
man, what a, what a way to end your career. And she, her house is like a kilometer and a half from the venue too. So it's just like, it's, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And of course, I know we're going to get mail. So I'll just come out and say it right away. Yes, of course. A big part of why it was really moving is it's not like it's all been upside for Therese Yohug either. You know, as a young senior, she had a couple tough years where the results and weren't where they where she wanted. And then, of course, the <clears throat> her doping ban for 18 months that was devastating. And uh, what can you say? And she's 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 experienced the highs and lows of sport and, and to finish her career at the, at the level that she did out there on Saturday really gave me goosebumps. It was a beautiful performance. Yeah. <clears throat> Super impressive. Like it wasn't exactly like the normal Teresa Yohog where just like from the gun, you just see her like sending it out of the gate, trying to drop everyone before they even leave the stadium. Like it looks like on the splits here, they were still kind of all together after like uh, a little bit through the first lap, definitely a little bit in the second lap. And then she just puts the hammer down and um, yeah, she's going to be unmatchable on a day like that. Um, so it's great to see her and on a high, like that's really what every great athlete you hope for them is like riding off into the sunset, winning the Super Bowl, retiring, going to Disneyland. I don't know if they got Disneyland in Norway, Devin, but I think she'd be Dude. MVP well, straight is, to yeah, Disneyland. Totally. For yeah. sure. She's yeah. like, they just give her the keys to Cinderella's castle and be like, well, you yeah, guys lost exactly. Here's a new job. Here's yeah. your new job. Yeah. <laughs> the thing? Uh, no, go for it, Jeff. Oh, I was just going to give like a, a big shout out too to Yana Sunling. Like, if you want to talk oh, yeah. about it. We're like, getting there. Yeah. Getting I mean, there, maybe dude. I'm jumping the gun on that. I mean, let's just. You're jumping the gun a bit. Yeah. Okay. Let's just finish our thoughts on Teresa then. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to add, you know, the thing that I thought was like so cool and and more than cool, just like the thing that made the impression on me was watching, like they had like also worth pointing out. I think that like for everyone that, that rages at fists and television production over the course of this long season, like you get it all back this weekend with just like the gorgeous television production that that Norway mm-hmm. is for this race and honestly, oh yeah um, but one of the things that I thought was was really interesting and, and cool was there were all these clips of like superstar Norwegian female women cross-country skiers like fangirling for Therese Johag like out on the course like Fossesholm is like out there like screaming her face off at Therese Johag and then like at the at the finish you have what appears to be basically the entire Norwegian women's team out there in like handmade shirts, picking up Therese Johag, screaming, freaking out, spraying champagne. And, you know, you talk about, I think it's, I think we kind of take for granted when you have an athlete like Therese Johag, who, you know, she's, she's really likable. She's been successful for so long. And it, it I think that just, that those scenes yesterday really show you the power of like one star successful athlete to like inspire an entire generation or generations of cross country skiers. And like, you know, you see that here with someone like Keegan Randall and Jesse Diggins. And I, you know, you kind of makes you, makes you wonder like uh, where's the Therese Johag waiting in the, in the wings of the Norwegian women's team. It's looking a little grim for them right now, but um, I don't know. I just, that, that made it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super grim right now after Therese Johag for the first time in forever. And I, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because like, this is what's been amazing about the Norwegian women's program 
in the resurgence of the Norwegian women's program in the 90s, <clears throat> late 90s, and, in, and then to today, is Ben Tascari is one of the greatest ski racers that ever lived. And she mentored Mara Bjergen. And then Mara Bjergen mentored Therese Johag. And, and these athletes, these cornerstone athletes we're naming here, Ben Tascari, uh, who is such a professional, so nice, and so down to earth had such a huge impression on someone like Mara Birgen when she was a young athlete. And then Mara Birgen, I mean, Jess, like there's no one nicer, more down to earth than Mara Birgen. Like she's yeah. the best cross country skier that ever lived yeah. ever. And, and the and, nicest cross country skier that ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. And Fedezi Ohug comes in a huge star, um, young, got everything going for and you know yeah it's in norway this is the national sport like you could see it in in an alternate universe where today an 18 year old today's could start becoming a prima donna but nope not when you have a mentor like mara birgen they're helping you or in that time in 2007 like i'll toot my wife's horn like mara birgen was having some challenging seasons in 2007 2008 2009 but like Kristen was at the top of her game winning individual medals in each of those championships and 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 they were this this idea of succession, and that's what I'm so impressed with the American women's team right now too. And that Keegan was a real trailblazer for, and Jesse has really taken on that role, even though she's also the, one of the best skiers in the world. Uh, this is where you get lasting results, and I, it really moved me too, man, to see everyone, her teammates, out there celebrating the greatness that is. Therese Johag and everything everyone has great things to say about her because she is that nice she is that down to earth I know her super well and like there's nothing but great things to say about Therese Johag what a, what a great champion and I'm oh man she'll be sorely missed but that said um the curtain falls on every athlete's career and there'll be great things ahead in her life and and that said I'm actually really excited because the women's racing has been awesome the last couple of years and you take Therese out of the field and here's a good segue for the rest of the field that we can talk about now that Jess alluded to. Like, there's seven, eight girls that can win World Cups now that, that Teresa exits stage left. And one of them, I mean, Parmakowski, what a great turnaround story for her this whole season. We had Sammy on the podcast um, last weekend in Lati, and, and I asked him specifically about Parmakowski because she had a couple tough seasons and she really has had a banner year this year, winning an individual medal at the Olympics and then of course, uh, second place in Holman Cole and the way she did it, I thought tactically Parmakowski did it perfectly uh, in her tactics to secure that medal uh, out of the ski exchange, getting a little bit of a gap and just putting it together, like skiing great and, and, and second in Holman Cole. And then Sunling. Sunling is like the Swedish women's program is such a boss. And Sunling, man, Jess, is, I'm so glad you're on the pod for this. Like, I see Mara Bjergen in Sundling. Like now that she's fourth in the 30K in, in Beijing, she comes to Holman Poland. She's third in classic. She's a dominant sprinter. I mean, when she's on her best, like you saw her at the Olympics, she's unstoppable. And man, if she can develop parallel like this, there's no reason why she's not hoisting the overall World Cup globe. It could be as early as next season, if not in the next season. I, I think it's amazing to watch. And it's such a great storyline. And man, she was skiing fantastically again. And yeah, it was uh, just an incredible have, race to watch. Did she have any distance results to speak of before this season? 
on the World <sighs> Cup, not hard really. Hard to say. Yeah, I mean, like she's just but, been but like on Scandinavian a Cup, standout. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like a standout sprinter for years. Like I remember so even a few years ago when Stina Nielsen was still like the top of sprinting. Um, Yana took her down in the Lillehammer final, like to start the year and kind of like a shock. And that was really, I think, the first time we saw Yana Sundling be like coming down the pipe, seeing that she's going to like not just be part of the w Swedish women's team, but, you know, at this point she's leading it. We started the year without her on the World Cup after an injury, uh, I think that happened up in Galavare. And my dog fists like really took the reins of uh, the sprint circuit and just ran rampant with it um, until Yana came back and like, wow, has, has Yana Sundling like been like the like most on fire skier, like since the Olympics, her, her distance skiing, matching her sprinting, like she's winning qualifiers by six seconds. She's like skiing That's away crazy. in heats. She's skiing distance races. Like she belongs up there. It's, it's phenomenal to see her development. And I agree, Devin, like, if you're going to look at um, her style of skiing, even technically, she's got so many like of those highlights of Bjorgen's strength, her power, super composed skier. She never looks like she's uh, like in trouble out there. And I think Bjorgen was just the same. Like she, she always looked like totally. she had this under control and Jana's got that at a pretty young age already. And yeah, it'd be great to see another training year with her. And then um, yeah, what she can do uh, in distance and sprint, obviously next year too. First of all, I just would echo that. And I mean, I feel like we heard a lot, we've, we've heard a little bit like from, from listeners, just that like, I think it's like, it feels, it just feels really exciting for people to, it's sort of like one, it feels like in the past couple of weeks, it's just been like one of those, a star is born kind of moments where we've seen like someone go from sprint specialist to like, holy cow, she's competitive in all these distance races, like a 30 K. And I, I think that's just awesome. Um, and it, it's really good for the sport to like have another name and another person like mixing it up in there. And then I, I was just going to say, you know, it's kind of interesting to contemplate, like if you are, you know, Sundling and, her, and the Swedish team and her coaches, like, what do you, after you've seen these results from this year, like, what are you doing for your training over the summer? And what is your focus, particularly after you just won an Olympic gold medal in the sprint? It's kind of like, you know, do you, it seems like a perfect opportunity for her to kind of refocus and maybe set some different goals and, and priorities now that, you know, she's kind of hit the pinnacle of what you can do as, as a sprinter. That, that said though, Nat, you know, what I think is interesting about that comment is I think she just continues to do what she's doing. And, and this is again, where it mirrors Amara Bjergen, where Mara Bjergen in 2003 wins the world championship sprint in Val de Fiemme and stunning victory. And two years later in 2005, like she is the darling, she's the queen. That's where, that's where she gets the crown. And she wins the 30K in Oberstorf. She wins the sprint. She's just winning stuff all left, right, and center in Oberstorf in 2005. And then bang, Mara Birgen is the best gear in the world. And then, yeah, like I said, from 2007 to 2009, she had a couple of tough years and then comes back from that. And it's just like, say goodnight, Mara Birgen's the best. Solidifies her, her spot at like, no question, hands down, the best cross-country skier that ever lived. And Sundling, I think she just continues to do what she's doing because the versatility, and like Jess said, that composure that she has out there, because she had that composure also in the 30K skate in vicious conditions in Beijing. And now she's showing that composure to land on the podium in 
the most historic race in the World Cup circuit in home and colon and in both techniques and the opposite techniques are in classic. So I, I, I think whatever Sunling's doing with her, with her training, I, I don't think she has to change things up all that much. She is at the sharp end of this field in, in challenging races. And as, as Jeff and I, Jess and I alluded to with, uh, with the courses in Homankola, man, and in Lottie, and like these are tough courses. And if you can do it there, man, there's a lot of World Cup courses that you can do a lot of damage in distance racing that are easier and play into her strengths even more. So it's going to be awesome. You know what I love about the Swedish women's team all around too is that you have Frida, who is like, I mean, she is the heir apparent to Therese Johag in distance, of course. I mean, she's 22 and just outstanding. She's struggling a little bit right now, but geez, that's allowed. Um, but you have Eva Anderson. She's not going anywhere at 23, 24 years old. Sundling, you have Dahlquist. Like all these girls, all these women, sorry, are in their, they're in their 20s. And, and they're, they have, <laughs> they have so much more to give. Like it's a good time to be a Swedish women's ski fan right now. Like it's uh, depth, the depth in, in distance and in sprint. And now a crossover or a overall World Cup globe contending athlete in Sundling is, is just going to be so great to follow along. Yeah, and I think piggybacking off of like the Swedish women, like praising the Swedish women, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Finnish women and like the depth that they've now oh, got yeah. um, totally. happening up at the top. It's distance, it's sprint. You know, you've obviously got Parmakoski coming across the line today uh, in second and like having such a great, like you said, standout year. But Kerti Niskanen was so close to getting gold at the Olympics and like would have been the shocking oh, yeah. event of the whole season if Teresa Johag didn't win that individual 10k um so care to obviously phenomenal and you end up looking down the list too like you don't have to go too far to find Johanna Montalo Anna Killinen having like a great resurgence in this point in her this career season and, too. oh yeah yeah Huge exactly season. yeah and Jasmine Johnsu racing sprints like she's consistently in the top 10 and qualifying like she's had some bad luck in heats but yeah, like these these programs, the Swedish women, the Finnish women, I'd even lump the German women in there too right now. Like there's oh, yeah. some uh, some real, I think, um, you know, the, they've been spurred by the dominance of the Norwegian women over the years. And the American women too have been part of that where they've seen the level that the Norwegian women have set internationally. And um, there's all these other countries that have, have met the, the the challenge and now they're like, consistently in the top um taking down most of the norwegian team like it's uh, great to see a little bit of changing of the guard it, it's cool to see like iron sharpen iron here it's it's awesome is that a good segue to um talking about the men's race well i guess people are maybe wondering sure. what's up with um the americans like i mean it seemed like rosie brennan did have like a pretty really solid race i she was like six, seventh, eighth, something like that. And then I think Jesse Diggins, people are wondering if she had COVID. It, I don't think Jesse was one of the folks who got taken down. It looked like from social media, she was out at the venue yesterday and just made the decision to uh, sit it out. Um, you know, it's a long race. I mean, you yeah. kind of wonder like at this point, like it's not like there's a lot of racing left to go. We've got one weekend, but um, you know, Jesse's had a, a pretty huge last uh, month. So you can definitely understand that decision for sure. Yeah, I think For like sure, one yeah. thing just to, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, just like no, to, just to mention like Rosie here, like how good is Rosie's career now that 
coming seventh at home, home and colon just becomes a sort of like, oh yeah, Rosie had a good day. Like that, that's a phenomenal race. Like she's had uh, like such great, great racing, great development, obviously like wearing yellow at some points in the last couple of years, like winning world cups and sprint and distance. Like Rosie's development is phenomenal to see. It's so cool to see um like what she's like gone through to get to this point too like seems like she's done it her own way which is always really meaningful and um yeah like it's just crazy to think like coming seventh at the home and colon for her is just sort of like oh yeah nice work <laughs> like it doesn't doesn't stand out like it used to anymore so i think it speaks to rosie's um you know her place as one of the best skiers in the world that, that she just kind of she belongs up there and then yeah like to to toot our horn as canadians uh, like Catherine Stewart Jones coming out with the 22nd today, you know, like fighting up, um, given her best, like she's like such a, a feisty skier. I describe her and like getting to ski around home and colon with those fans for 30 kilometers. Catherine was probably in paradise out there, especially in classic. Like that would have been so much fun. And Sandrin, not far back in 25th, like really awesome. Keeping like good pressure in the top 30 there. And Jasmine Trolet getting like she's her first year, first World Cup. She's a junior and she gets bapti baptism in the fire of Holman Colin. So, like, welcome to the World Cup, Jasmine Drolet. And uh, 42nd, like, it's going to be a tough way to start anyone's career, but that's going to be memorable. And Olivia in 48th, like, just yeah, dream, dream season for Olivia getting all these opportunities. And yeah, great to see um yeah Catherine especially doing so well up at the top for sure Catherine but also like I I, I agree with you, everything you just said of course and um but, but I, I have to I have to really like take my hat off for Sandrine man like in classic to be 25th in Colm is what a season she's had this year and all these girls have struggled it, the Canadian women we're talking about, sorry, I, I, the Canadian women have struggled uh, in the last few years with uh, challenges with the program and challenges with support and and all this sorts of stuff. And, but Sandrine, especially in especially in classic, has been has been a challenge for Sandrine to just like get it to click. And but Sandrine in twenty fifth, I, I I was really moved by that performance by Sandrine in classic. Because in classic, it's been something that she's just struggled with forever, you know, in her career. And to do it and to put it together a race like that at the end of a long, tough season in classic at home in Colin, Sandrine has had a, a fantastic season. I, I just, I'm so impressed that she's able to, to keep this pressure up. And then I hope this give her some, gives her some confidence that in classic, she can, she can compete as well. And, and if you're doing it in home and colon on those courses in 30 K uh, there's no reason why you can't do that on, on other, on other venues moving forward. So it's uh, it was really cool to see. Well, should we talk about uh, the, the 50 K? Oh yeah. Baby. Yeah, totally. This yeah. Is, this is the big one. <laughs> this is like bigger than big. Like I know the, the women's 30 K yesterday, it's a big deal too, but the 50K has over 100 years of history, and it is just so epic. And even though, and here's where I will go on my little rant, the 50K at home in Colon and the 30 should be an individual start. As much as I love watching the, the mass start and everything, the fact that we have 
neutered the 50 by putting it on a shorter loop and then making it a mass start in Holman Colon of all places is a travesty that needs to be remedied. This has to be back to individual start. Uh, that's where, that's where the sport was. That's, that's, you can have one race a year like that, I believe anyways, but that said, awesome performance. A lot of top dogs missing in the men's field though. I have to admit, uh, and I, I felt like it was noticeable, honestly. I, I, I you know, you were missing a Bolshunov, you were missing uh, Klebo, you were missing Paul, like you said, uh, Jess. So, but that said, again, beautiful day, crazy fans. And, and the story of the day, like Nienga, Martin Nienga, two World Cup podiums coming into this race. I, I, I've quoted, I've been quoted on this podcast in years past calling him Johnny Scan Cup because the guy just like wins Norwegian Cups, wins Scans Cup, Scan Cups. When he was younger, he'd get starts on the World Cup. He'd be in the mid-30s every time. And everyone's like, what the hell is going on? Like, Niang is good. He's winning all these B-level races. Like, why can't he convert on the World Cup? And then in the last two years, he's really came alive on the world cup. And I know four or five years ago, he had some top tens as well, but they were few and far between and he solidified himself. I mean, he's on the Norwegian national team, all around team. So that that's pretty much all you need to know, but it didn't make the championship this year. He didn't make the Olympics. Uh, didn't have the results to get that done. That's, that's a hard needle to thread. The men's, the men's Norwegian squad is insanely hard to qualify for, but comes out today skiing like a total champ skiing like a boss from start to finish and he was skiing like a man possessed really and i'm a real softy like the biggest softy you'll meet he crosses the finish line and he puts his hand to the sky and he puts his like i don't know the people that are listening watch that but he like he puts his hand to the sky and he looks to the sky and a journalist an nrk journalist at the end asks asks him like oh we noticed that you put your 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 finger to the sky do you want to talk about that and at first he's like uh you know, wavering if he wanted to talk about it. Like Martin Niang, his dad is 57, passed away two weeks ago and his funeral was on Friday. And he goes on to say in the interview that like his dad was his best friend and he wouldn't be, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't be a ski racer without, of course, his dad and, and how a special relationship he had with his dad. And he felt like he was racing with his dad the whole way around and he didn't feel any pain out there. And that really, really, really moved me because Nianga, you recall in the fall when he's chasing down that, that elusive dream to represent Norway at the Olympic Games, contracts COVID. He's the only one in their fall altitude camp to get COVID. And then he gets stuck in Livigno. He's in Livigno for like four weeks, man, with COVID-19. He can't leave his hotel room. It was a disaster. And seeing is kind of at that moment, you're kind of thinking that your season's going up in smoke puts together some really solid races, like racing to the top 10 on the world cup. And it's not enough to make the, to make the Olympic team. Then you lose your father unexpectedly was only 57 and super fit. And then you come to home and your first chance, cause you don't get many chances with in the Norwegian team. It's so hard to qualify and for these world cups and you go to home and and you put a performance like that. I mean, with only two world cup podiums in to your name, yeah, man, it's like a movie. It was crazy. Yeah. Like I, I, Devin and I were talking earlier about it and it's just, there's not many times in cross country skiing that you can really say like any given Sunday in that football 
sense that, you know, like anyone really could come out on top, like skiing is generally um, like pretty set. And like, I wouldn't have picked Martin Ninget to come away with a win today. Like he's got some more established, uh, you know, guys like Ivo Niskanen, I think would have been the prohibitive favorite going into today. Like his, his style, he's like been so strong in long distance races this year. So he, he would have been the guy to look at to cross the line first. And it's, uh, phenomenal to see like his effort under the circumstances, like, uh, hard to put yourself in Martin Ninget's shoes and, and just like know what he's going through. And you can just see behind him when he crosses the line, sure. Rotha has got a smile on his face coming in second. Cause he sees what it means for, for Martin in front of him, his buddy. So that's yeah. Great story. Phenomenal effort. Like, yeah. Beautiful skiing out there too. Like he, he's a really strong technical skier. He's like, nice stable um just like one of those guys that blends in on the team often like he like you're saying Devin, he kind of forget about martin ninget in some of these races but he's always packing around the top 10 um you know he's been good in sprint he's like obviously a great distance skier and he's classic and skate he's just sort of like uh kind of a joker card that the norwegian team can use wherever they need him and yeah today like it came up aces like that was phenomenal I, um, sure, and I think oh, go on, go on that. Sorry, go for it. No, 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 please. I mean, all I was gonna say was that I don't really have any notes for Martin Yanget, and um, I just wanted to know, you know, before we get to the rest of the podium, um, you know, you you see the shot of um, of the race winners getting to meet the king, and uh, I just feel like that is a <laughs> that is a really uniquely Holman Cullen experience, and I'm curious, Devin, did you and Alex? Uh, did you and Alex get to meet the King when you won your world championships gold medal in 2011? And what was that? Yeah. Like? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just like, thank you. Like, I mean, it's not a, it wasn't a, <laughs> I wasn't living in Norway. I had no connection to Norway whatsoever, but of course, gosh, like, I think it speaks volumes of the country, Norway, really, that, that the, the King, and the royal family is so down to earth. And of course, they're going to love cross-country ski racing. You know what I mean? Like, of course, they're going to be out outside cheering on Nordic skiing. Can you imagine um, um, if, if we'd had that Minneapolis World Cup and the and the, and the, and the Jesse Diggins got to, like, meet Donald Trump afterward? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. We're comparing the king of a country to Donald Trump. That is a scary thought. But, but I was just going to say, like, even it's even hard to imagine at the London Olympics, a 5,000 meter runner meeting Queen Elizabeth. That doesn't really happen. You know what I mean? And they had the Olympics in 2012. Like Queen Elizabeth wasn't out there cheering on every, every athlete or like getting to meet every athlete. It, it's, it's a unique, it's a unique experience here in Norway. And I, um, yeah, it was it, it, so of course, like, I mean, it, it's, but as a Canadian meeting the King, you know, you're, you're just so in shock, but you just won the world championships in uh, beating Petter Nortag. And, and at that point, Olivier Gennadistad was the best sprinter that ever lived uh, to that point. Um, and you're, you know, you guys just stunned them. We, we stunned them in, in that particular race, which was hard to take in at the time, but. Um, so you just say, sorry. I, yeah, exactly. Sorry. What, what more can you say? No, but, but the, I think it just speaks volume of the Norwegian people that the Royal family shows up and is out there. I mean, like, like Jess said, like today, it's not hard to have a great time at home and colon, but the King, 
who's in his eighties would have been there if it was pissing rain and foggy too, like that, you, you know, and, uh, cheering on, cheering on all the athletes. I think, I think it's, it's really unique. Another thing that's really unique, Norway sweeps the podium. And I know we're all like used to that, right? Like we're like, yeah, it's been just Norway versus Russia. And if Russia can't show up, well then it's not shocking that, that Norway sweeps the podium. 37 years was the last time Norway swept the podium at home and colon for the men. I, I couldn't believe that stat. I'm like, what? No, no. I'm like going back. I'm like, there's no way. I mean, you have like the, you have the Helmuset era, you know, they, him and Frodo still went one, two, I remember and raised. It's like, yeah, but not sweep the podium. So that was, uh, that was pretty phenomenal too. I mean, shoot off that was an alternate, wasn't really supposed to be even in Holman Colin in classic, you know, we recall he dropped out of the skiathlon. He's a veteran. He's already won Holman Colin back in 2015, but that was in skating. He hasn't had a good classic race in many years, actually. And he's at the tail end of his career. There's a lot of rumors that he might retire. He hasn't made any, any announcements one way or the other, but, but it's definitely something that the Norwegian media has been hounding him about. Is this it? And he hasn't said that it isn't. And so to put together a competition like that, he is 0.6 seconds away from, from winning a second home and colon in the opposite technique, which would have been just a phenomenal feather in your cap, especially after the challenging season he's had this year, but also after the, and when I say challenging season, I mean, the Olympics predominantly where you, where you whiff so hard on your best event in the skiathlon, he's a 2019 world champion in the skiathlon and he drops out. And then in the, in the 28.4 kilometer skate race to, to end it, he, he had a great race, but it just, there was four guys that were better and he ended up fifth in that one. So I thought it was cool to see him back on the podium. Didrik Tonseth too. You got to tip your hat to, to Didrik, man getting kicked off the team last year or at the end of last year. So he's been doing it on his own here. Has been off the podium for the last couple of seasons as well. Puts together a beautiful race. Try like really trying. And that last lap, man, I was like, he's doing it. He would get like 10 meters on the field. I mean, Niang was closing, closing that door pretty quickly, closing that gap pretty quickly, but, but he was trying on every, on every climbing section. He's a beautiful classic skier as well. And, and I, you know, it looked like he did everything he could to win home and Colin. And there was just two guys that were, were better than him and, and have a better kick than him too. So uh, great race by, by Didrik. I thought it was really interesting that, that Niskanen ends up fourth um, because like, you know, it looked like he was struggling with his equipment after the ski exchange. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that, that, that's what it looked like to me. And, you know, in the interviews at the end, he didn't mention that, he, you know, but it, um, you know, everyone's tired at the end of the season and Niskanen just didn't have, uh, didn't have the day he, he, he hoped for it. It'd been, it's been a long time. I think how many years has it been? The last Finn to win home colon was Hari Kiversnimi. I think it was like 27 years ago or something or 22 years ago, but it was a long time ago. So, so even the great, uh, Ivo Niskanen hasn't been able to get it done. So, uh, it's, it would have meant a lot to him. And, and, and can we talk about Porma's, uh, braids? Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what? what there is to be said about it. <laughs> I believe I believe those are called cornrows. Yeah, cornrows. They are called cornrows. Oh my good <laughs> lord! I you know what? I still love Porma. The guy's a great skier, great technique, an absolute phenomenal day for Porma today in the 50k at home and colon penned up fifth, and it looked. Man, I was like, he's going to be on the podium. He was looking so good. And he just ran out of gas, you know, at Frogner Center from the last, on the last lap there, man, started like just, you could see it. 
it just you, when you run out of energy, even just a little bit, and you you can't get you can't get it back, especially when the especially when everyone's firing on all cylinders and Didrik knows he can't sprint to the line with a guy like Niang or, or, or shoot off. So there, but man, oh man, those cornrows are just viciously bad. Like that, that is just nothing is good about that. I think he said he cramped. Yeah. doesn't surprise me. It looked like mm-hmm. him, but uh, yeah, but it, what a great performance come fifth, the cornrows, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the other guy, like looking down the list too, like Andrew Musgrave, like we know we're going to talk about Andrew if it's a skate race, especially like the longer the race, the more Andrew, like Muzzy's likely to factor into it. But classic man, like he's just not often at that level. And like today he he put it all together. Like he he showed what he had in classic, like he's got to be working on it you know he's going to be fit it's just a matter of like the technical challenges that he has and like it worked out today like he, he was in there like just a bit of a tough last couple laps there like just to lose the the pace and like once you lose the front of the the group like it's it's gonna like fall away pretty quickly there but really really impressed with with muzzy in today's race it, it, oh for sure sixth man it's crazy yeah, good unbelievable for and they yeah, and then you know what's funny in the in the post race interview with Muzzy too here in in Norway, he he said that he had asked his technicians to to go a little thicker on Clister for his last ski exchange, and he regretted that at the end. He was like, "I was having such a great day, and uh, I felt like I had a little too much Clister on my skis." Now it got a bit better after a couple k, but that was at such a critical point in the race. Yeah, and yeah. at that point in the race, if you guys recall that's where it all went south for Kruger who had the worst ski exchange ever uh, losing the pack skiing, like his skis going the other way. Like uh, it all went wrong for Kruger there and he had no chance after botching that ski exchange to come back. So that was, that was hard to see. But like you said, Jess, like man, in classic for Muzzy to be sixth, like, are you serious? Like epic, epic performance. Yeah, and a little bit of the like the former king showing himself there with Dario, Super Dario making yeah. like another top ten appearance. Like I haven't seen Super Dario near like the front, the sharp end of a race in a while. And bad luck, like the wipeout was weird. Uh, oh yeah, that's so weird for, to wipe out like for that. Dario like that. You never know where he would have ended up without that. Um, but great to see him like showing himself again at home and Cole. And obviously like he's won it in the past. Like he's one of the, the greatest skiers of all time. So like great to see him back up, up at the top there. And that's, and that's the end, Jess, like this was it. Yeah. So it was a big yeah. celebration for Dario too. He's retiring and, and this is the ball game. One of the, one of the, the all time greats, like you said, in cross country ski history. And somebody that put Central Europe back on the map, you know, I know the Germans were before him definitely putting skiing all over the map with, with uh, Teichmann and Anger and, and, and uh, Sommerfeld and stuff. But, but Dario's dominance at the top of PG's three Olympics, three 15 K individual gold medals back to back to back. Like, I mean, uh, Dario changed skiing, no question. And then the great send off for Dario, like you said, it, it's nice to, to, to close off a story career in the top 10 at home and Colin, like weak field or not, it's uh it's, it was a great performance. So much, so much champagne spilled uh, this weekend. For sure. 
but it's it, it makes sense that it happens in Norway. You know what I mean? Like where the money flows like wine too. So it might as well if you're if you're gonna, if you're gonna, Those you're gonna are expensive be bottles of champagne. Yeah. Oh Norway. yeah. Oh god. And so it's good that it's Teresa Johagen and Dario Colonia that are getting sprayed down because they they can at least afford it. That's for sure. Um, tougher day for the Canadians. Like really, really tough day for the Canadians. I thought it is a missed opportunity. There's no like what can you say? I mean, Olivier and and uh, Tony especially. I had high hopes for Tony and Colm. I thought he skied solid in Lottie to be 23rd. And, and uh, with the field, is, the field being what it would be today. And he was skiing pretty well for a lot of the race. I don't know if, I don't know if he felt like his ski slowed down as well for the last couple laps in the ski exchange. But regardless, um, kind of disappointing to see the Canadians out of the top, out of the top 30 today. I, I thought it was a good opportunity. And like you said, Jess, the conditions at home and Colm can be just so horrendous. And today... It was warm and you know, it's dirty. Like, you know, that Jess. like those fires and those tens of thousands of people partying uh, doesn't yeah, make the snow. Horrendous nice. snow. Yeah. 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 So it is dirty. So it's going to pick up your skis going to slow down a lot. But I, I, uh, if you would have looked at that start list and told me that, uh, Tony Sierra would be out of the top 30, I would have been, I would have called you silly. And so a tougher day for him, but that's okay. He's they're all a Canadian team. So young, uh, and so promising. And there's juniors, chasing them down in the back too. So it's, uh, the future is bright, but it was just a, a day. I feel like a, a small missed opportunity, but gosh, they're coming back from Asia. Like there's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, 50 K after all the travel and all the Olympics and everything is already just absolutely bonkers. And I think, um, you saw did two of the guys on the podium weren't in Beijing. So that, that speaks volumes about how, how much energy this, uh, this Olympic experience is, is costing these guys. It feels like it's like um, the, the this season is like it's like Survivor, you know, just like who who can who can make it to the end without getting COVID, without getting sick, without you know getting stuck in some political crazy shitstorm. Um, and uh, Nor Norway has Norway has enough uh, depth that when you know you lose half of your team to COVID, you can still sweep the podium, I guess. Yeah, crazy. It's just like just so crazy to say. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was it was it was amazing, amazing weekend in Home and Colon. And I am I, I'm gonna trash this again. Yep. We really yep. couldn't find any. We really couldn't find anyone to take on the World Cup finals. Really, like really seriously. Like you lose every World Cup in January. You you know you you lose Larus, then you lose Larus, sorry, and then you lose um you lose Planitza and then team and goes down in flames and you can't replace it. Like what in God's name are you doing over there at this? Not to mention the debacle surrounding the political situation that you mentioned earlier, Nat, like what the fuck is Fist doing? Like, honestly, like it's just head shaking. So well, next yeah. week in Falun, that's the ball game. That's the ball game. Next week in Falun, that's the World Cup. Ends early. Is it that hard to find a venue? Like, come on. Well, and like, uh, you know, th this is the thing about this is like, okay, look, if if we had no like premonition about Russia <clears throat> invading Ukraine, and like if this had all happened in the past like three days, maybe. You can say, yeah, even biathlon wouldn't have gotten this done. But I think I think the thing that's like so frustrating about this situation is that 
we, you know, we were, I was asking Pierre Mignory, who's the race director for Fist Cross Country about this literally a month ago. And, 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 you know, so it's like, this wasn't a surprise. They had plenty of time and they still can't get it done. And it's just like, why? And I don't think we have a really good answer for that. I know like Ostersund in, in Sweden had offered to host. I was doing a little poking around on this yesterday. It sounded like they couldn't come to some kind of agreement on like, you know, TV and sponsorship and that kind of thing. And it's just like, you know, I mean, imagine like we're pissed and we're just like the dudes that don't get paid to talk about this on a podcast, uh, you know, North America's largest English language cross country skiing podcast. But like, imagine if you're an athlete or a coach, you know, and like, this is how you were totally. looking to ending your season. And, and it's just like, all of a sudden it's like, yep, no, couldn't do it. Sorry. And it's just, no, you're just getting just kneecapped like, yeah. this. like, yeah, come on. it's just ending on a whimper. And I think you like totally hit the nail on the head now. Like it's just fist moving at a glacial pace. Like you could see this coming from a mile away that there is likely going to be interruptions. And even if there weren't, you know, like the, the posturing is such that why would you be sending athletes into Russia um in that lead up anyways like in that spirit of sport like it doesn't feel like the right thing to do and i, I think um it's hard to know like uh, ostracend if they were really gonna make it happen but you know like uh they're they're putting their their name out there they're trying to to give these athletes that have put their whole life into these uh these pursuits like they want to be racing they want to show what they've got um, for development, you know, like it's such a huge opportunity to have those end of season world cups, um, domestically. So for Sweden, it, it, they could stand to gain a lot by having young athletes race at home, race at world cups. Um, yeah, just frustrating as a fan. And it would really suck. Like I, I was hoping to race those world cups in Quebec in 2020 and that, that sucked having those canceled. So I, I feel for anyone that was like having those finals circled on their calendar, as their goal for the year. I, I, sure. And like, here's the thing. Well, I got to jump in one more time. Cause like yeah. cross country missed three weekends of a world cup season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Letting that happen. It's, it's just ridiculous. So yeah. this, like, you know what, when you don't think you can make mistakes worse, you do. And I hope that there's some repercussions, even though we all know there won't be. Well, there will and this not is, be repercussions. I mean, I think this is the thing about Fist too, is like, <clears throat> I feel like it's really tempting to like blame the staff. You know, it's like Pierre's out. Pierre's no, it's not Pierre. They, right, exactly. No, that, and that, I think that's important for people to know. It's like, and they do such a terrible job of explaining it, you know? And so we have no information, no explanation. And it's like, well, we can speculate on where the dysfunction is, but we actually, we don't really know. And there, and it's sort of like, you know, it's, this is not a democratic system where like, if we don't oh, no. like this, we can vote our people out. And I think, you know, it's just like, it just is. I, and, and totally, like you said, Devin, the fact that we lost these races in January, it's like, okay, we already know that like cross country skiing is fighting for its fucking life against biathlon against basketball against wheel of fortune and like you know we're just we're just gonna throw up our hands and say you know it just as like someone that cares and loves to watch these races and these athletes it just like it's it's maddening and i think what's equally maddening is just feeling like the folks that are making these kinds of decisions like they're definitely not listening to this podcast and they're not in touch 
with the folks that really have a, a vested interest in in this sport and in holding these races and satisfying the fan base. And I think to me, it's like <clears throat> it's less about this individual event and more that it just shows this continued like dysfunction and kind of disrespect for athletes, for fans, for teams, you know, anyone that's following the sport. So if you're totally. listening to this and and you feel like we're we're being unfair or you want to come on the podcast and talk about how great you are um, next week. Please, we... by all means. Yeah. Come on down. But I, but I don't know if they're part of our 57. I, I keep saying we're about like 19 to 21 listeners. We're probably at 57 now. And I, I don't think anyone from this is, <laughs> is investing their, investing their time in this, but, but, but that said, that's, I'm going to, before we end this, I'm just going to have like, I've been bombarded with one question and one question in particular, and Jess is on the pod, which is great. We're going to cover this quickly. Everybody's been noticing that there's been a lot of people using pursuit boots or, or classic boots with their pursuit boots. So skiathlon boots or the, you know, ski boots with cuffs in, in classic sprints. And even in home and colon today, you saw some athletes racing with that. And I realized that that seems like it's weird, but Drummond, is a slush cup and it's it, the, the course breaks down, even though they use salt, it's really variable and having those cuffs on your, on your boots. So the sole of those boots is a normal classic boot sole. It, it's no stiffer. It's the exact same as a classic boot, but having the, the, the cuff around your ankle allows you to corner and be so much more confident in traffic in marginal conditions. And I think that's why we've been seeing that some here especially in the spring you saw it a bit in 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 china as well and, and it just offers like a way better not a way better but it offers way better stability and especially when you're skiing in, in traffic what do you think jess yeah definitely like um I, I think like you're saying the slushy conditions really push you to make that decision if it's you know, pretty firm and you're like, you have solid footing underneath your, your skis. Like it's not such a big advantage, but anytime you're going down tracks that are deteriorating and you can see their skis shaking, like they're kind of like uh, jitterbugs underneath their feet, like just holding that, uh, that ski more stable with the cuff. I mean, it saves a bit of energy. You get a bit more power on the corner. You just feel a little bit more solid. Like you, you have that kind of security of knowing like the control is there um it's not gonna add that much weight you know like it's just a little bit of carbon that goes up from uh like the side of the boot up around the ankle so it's not you know that it's like a detriment to carry around on the course um like everything is so light anyways um doesn't make a difference but um i would you know predominantly if, it, if i was going into a, a race that felt like it was more double pulling than striding i'd definitely start to think about using those pursuit boots because for whatever reason with with double pulling focused races it just feels like more solid having that cuff like that that power feels like better around the corners and you just feel like stable even in a double pulling uh position it's it's just nice and um yeah kind of like just makes you feel like you're ready for anything i think for sure and not to mention like i should have mentioned this too but like out of the corners like mm -hmm. you're skating like a wild man out of the corners like yeah yeah mm -hmm. okay you're changing direction and step like make no mistake like guys are skating for their life around those corners to take as much speed as you can into especially in drama we'll take drama as a great example that last corner at the bottom there you know at the like when it's just a 300 meter drag up to the church a 400 meter drag i mean any 
any velocity you can take around that last corner is going to help you get into that rhythm, that double pull, like Jess is talking about and having the cuff there, man, it, it, it that actually does make a huge difference. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't they're changing surprised tracks twice, you know, they come yeah, off exactly. that corner, change yeah. into the Same track thing. that they left the start gate and then they change yeah. again when they come off that roller. So you get it, you're exactly. getting like two spots that you're getting like better for sure. Better, uh, more solid push underfoot. So that's that alone for sure is worth it. Yeah. That's all I got. We got a cover here. Um, Exciting uh, mixed relay event next uh, week and following. At least we have that to look forward to. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into off season mode and try to get uh, Teresa Yohog and Jonas Sundling and William Porma. (laughs) Yeah on this podcast Porma's got to come on yeah he's got to come on and explain the cornrows <laughs> he's gonna have to explain the cornrows we still love him on the podcast Porma is still like because he is the only Swedish hope right now like I said and not just that everything about Porma is uh, great the cornrows though he's got to come on and explain himself because <laughs> what the oh god yeah he should have just raced with a Lakers jersey no like sorry a Phillies jersey like a yeah, yeah an AI jersey sweet. yeah, yeah AI jersey you should have been out there with an AI jersey. Then I would have been like, you know what, man? Okay, I feel you. I feel it. Like, this is uh, this is cool. But when you're in the Swedish suit, anyway, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get him on and ask him maybe, about that. Maybe he, maybe he lost the bet. Yeah, I never know. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.